this week's edition for the Wise Up Podcast. This is your host, Ezra Siddiqui. As a reminder, Wise Up is my platform to educate the South Asian and Muslim communities about Texas and national politics. You can check out my Wise Up Facebook page, follow me on Twitter, my handle is at Wise Up. Find my podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn, along with my weekly segment on Radio Azad every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Remember everyone, let's become educated, let's get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot. So today's segment is called Justice is a Manifestation of Love. In today's segment, I have an interview with Simranjit Singh, who is on the board of directors for the Institute for Diversity and Civic Life. They conducted a study which they just recently published about Islamophobia in Texas. They wanted to better understand the climate and the implications from Islamophobia in Texas. That's been affecting the Muslim community and also the South Asian community as well. According to their website, they drew from various sources such as social media, media reports, and government documents, and it covers during the time period of 2011 through 2016. But first, let's start with the news of the week. So today is a big day in that the Democratic primary is occurring in California. So Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders are close, but it looks like Hillary Clinton will come out ahead, but just barely. If she wins, she pretty much clinches the Democratic nomination. Bernie Sanders still plans to hold on till July to see if he can get Suburg delegates to change sides. Um, I know that um, a lot of people, especially my generation, um, feel the burn, and that's great. I just have some things I wanted to point out. You know, I have a hard time understanding when... Um, the Bernie Sanders side feels that the superdelegate process is unfair. I'm not sure if everyone is aware, but Bernie Sanders has always been an independent, and he didn't become a Democrat till 2015 when he decided to run for president. So I'm curious as to why they would have this assumption that superdelegates would be loyal to him or be more willing to listen to him when he's not been a Democrat um, until very, very recently. On top of that, Bernie Sanders knew the process. I mean, he's been around for a very long time um, in Congress, and he could have easily run as an independent. I mean, plenty of candidates do. I personally speculate he did it to get more campaign money and attention. But uh, it looks like, and I've said this before a lot of times, that we have to do as a community, it looks like he's playing the system to win the system by trying to implement his platform within the Democratic Party. But anyways, time will tell if that happens. In other news, uh, Paul Ryan has endorsed Donald Trump as the Republican nominee for president. The Philadelphia School District has added two Muslim holidays to its calendar, and that's really exciting. There was a city councilman that is Muslim that really lobbied hard for this. This is a prime example of how when you get involved in local politics, the huge impact you can make. Uh, Hillary Clinton said that she could win Texas if she got the Latino and African-American vote. I just want to point out that she forgot about the South Asian and Muslim votes. We were one of the largest groups, um, well, residing in Texas. But while we're still a growing minority group, I still think that we can definitely make an impact if a lot of us got out and voted. An unfortunate incident happened. A um, sick gas station owner was shot to death in Newark. Um, People believe it's a hate crime. David French, who is a conservative Tennessee lawyer, is apparently running as an independent in the presidential race. Um, 
Nihar Janga from Leander, Texas, which is a suburb right outside of Austin, Texas, tied for the spelling bee for first place, which is very exciting news. Moving on to Texas news, um, Texas is one of 11 states to sue President Obama on the transgender bathroom order. As you can tell, and I've stated this in previous um, segments, that this transgender bathroom issue is going to be a huge issue up in this upcoming election. And most definitely it's going to happen in the Texas legislature in um, 2017. So if this is something that you feel is important to you or that hits close to home, I definitely think that when you are deciding on your local politicians, such as your uh, state representatives or state senators, that this is a question that you should ask them about and, you know, get engaged of how they're intending to vote on it. Because I can guarantee you it's definitely going to come up in the Texas um, House and Senate. Um, along with the ACLU, uh, 40 plus civil rights groups are demanding accountability when authorities arrested and detained two men from a Greyhound station in Amarillo, Texas. One was a Sikh Indian and the other one was a Punjabi Pakistani. They were both speaking Punjabi on a bus. Someone complained about them and they were detained for 30 hours. There has been no public official that has taken any form of action to remedy the injustice and that is exactly why these civil rights groups are demanding that a public official make some sort of statement or an apology for what these men went through because there was no accountability whatsoever and they were not at fault for anything. Moving on, Ken Paxson, our attorney general, asked the appeals court to dismiss the criminal charges against him. According to the Dallas Morning News, the appeals court dismissed it. They rejected it. Uh, there was a very unfortunate incident in Fort Hood where soldiers lost their lives due to the torrential rains and floods that have been occurring in Texas. We have had a lot of rain in the past month, more so than usual. And thankfully, I don't know how it is in Dallas and Houston right now, but Austin's been pretty sunny for the most part starting, I guess, Sunday. Um, moving on about our governor, who was the previous attorney general. According to the Dallas Morning News, um, when he was attorney general, top consumer attorneys built a $5.4 million case against the Trump University, but it never went through. And so some reporters found that to be very intriguing. So, you know, they dug around a little and they realized that um, Governor Abbott had received a donation, a financial donation from Donald Trump for his election and for his campaign. So we don't know the whole story yet. There seems to be a lot of um, going back and forth and that one of the guys who spoke there putting him in under a cease and desist. So I'm sure that eventually we'll get the whole story out there, but it, it's not out there yet. For those of y'all who are celebrating Ramadan, Ramadan started yesterday on June 6th. And 1.6 billion Muslims around the world um, observe Ramadan. And Wise Up compiled a video of what, it's, um, what it is about. And I would love it if you were to share with your friends who are unaware of what Ramadan is about because as I've stated before that the more that we start communicating with our neighbors and coworkers and getting to know them, you know, the, the less that they're going to fear us and the less bigotry that can occur. In fact, when I went to work yesterday, I took in a Ramadan fact sheet and some baklava 
because a lot of them have always been curious to try it and some dates. And, you know, I got pretty positive feedback. There were a, a few people that were not very interested, but no one was rude at all. Um, majority of the people were very intrigued and very interested. Initially, they were wary, but I think, you know, it was a baby step, but it's in the positive direction, and that's something that we need to continue to do. So I highly urge my Muslim listeners out there to, you know, maybe go up to your neighbors and bake cookies or pies or maybe something from your uh, culture, some very popular dish that you think they, they would like. And maybe you can invite them over for iftar one day. I think these are the things that would really help um, to build us as a community and for us to be able to hopefully stop the bigotry because a lot of what's going on is because people just don't know about the Muslim community. Um, speaking of Muslim Americans, um, Muhammad Ali passed away on Friday late Friday night. He was the greatest of all time. Um, it was really amazing to see the amount of outpour that came out. Um, I know that I wasn't alive during the time when he was such a famous boxer, but you know, growing up, he was such a household name. Everyone, you know, our parents talked about him. We always heard about him and, um, everything that he's accomplished especially as a Muslim American. And, you know, he was probably one of the most prominent Muslim Americans and very outspoken about his religion and his race and how um, it's making an impact in America. And I think Haroon Mughal had an article which, you know, he made the best point was that no um, representative or candidate, political candidate for that matter, no matter if, you know, they were Islamophobic, they couldn't deny the fact that Muhammad Ali was one of the greatest of all time, and they were all tweeting about him, such as Donald Trump and our governor. So I thought, you know, he really nailed it on the head when he said, you know, he really is the greatest of all time. Like, no one no one denies it, no matter what their religion or um, political beliefs are. And last but not least... I don't know if you all have been hearing about what's been going on in Baylor University. It's a pretty serious situation, and I really think if your child or someone you know is attending Baylor University, this is something you should really be aware of. There have been reports of girls that were being sexually assaulted on campus by sports um, athletes, and the story gets pretty confusing as to who knew what and how far up the chain it went, but... Um, a lot of the girls were denied counseling. They were asked to hush up their stories. Um, one was punished, like she was. her scholarship was taken away. A lot of these um, male athletes, their actions were covered for by the sports program. And it was just, I mean, it's just absurd. I can't believe that even happened. But um, uh, there was a, a law firm that was um, attained by... Kenneth Starr, who was the president of Baylor at that time. But, and so he hired Pepper Hamilton to do an internal review, and they published parts of the review which were, which were pretty, you know, traumatic. I can't even imagine what those girls went through. And at the end of the day, Art Bryles, who was the Baylor football coach, he has been fired. Kenneth Starr, um, if you remember him, he was the attorney against President Clinton during the Monica Lewinsky scandal and um, he's been demoted. He lost his position of president and chancellor, but he will still remain as a law professor at Baylor. 
Um, I just think it's an absolute disgraceful situation, and I hope that Baylor can learn from this. I'm all for sports. I enjoy college sports, but, you know, there has to be a line. There has to be a limit as to how much you sacrifice, and I don't think the way that these girls were treated was worth it at all. Anyways, let's move on to the interview of the day. So today I'm interviewing Simranjit Singh. He's an assistant professor in the Department of Religion at Trinity University in San Antonio. He is a senior religion fellow for the Sikh Coalition and is responsible for educating the broader American public about the Sikh faith and traditions. His academic expertise focuses on the formations of religious communities and literatures in early modern South Asia. His graduate training focused on the history of religions in South Asia. And he has taught courses at Columbia University and Trinity University on Buddhist, Hindu, Islamic, and Sikh traditions. His recent scholarship and public engagement examines xenophobia, racial profiling, and hate violence in post-9-11 America. He is fluent in multiple languages, and he holds a Ph.D. from Columbia University, a graduate degree from Harvard University, and an undergraduate degree from Trinity University. Of course. Thank you for having me. So, um, I know I just gave you an introduction about yourself, but how about you also tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. Uh, my name is Simranjit Singh. I was uh, born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. Um, my parents immigrated from India in the 70s. Um, they came from the state of Punjab, um, and my father was um, practicing his engineering when he came to San Antonio. Um, so I lived there most of my life. I moved to the Northeast for graduate school, and uh, my research was actually shaped by my experiences as a South Asian, as a Sikh. Who grew up in Texas, and you know, for my whole life, I was very interested in understanding uh, both my own sort of cultural and uh, historical background, and also uh-huh. um, trying to understand sort of how I was how I was perceived in modern America, why people thought certain things about me, um, why why people who looked like me uh, were so often oppressed and misunderstood. Uh-huh. Um, and so that, that sort of shaped my career in terms of what I wanted to do and the types of communities I wanted to serve. That's really interesting. So one of the studies that you did was with the Institute for Diversity and Civic Life, right? That's right. That's right. And you, um, you along with some colleagues, had an Islamophobia study and how it affected um, Texans. That's right. Yeah, you know, I so as someone who grew up in Texas, um, I, I can tell you firsthand that um, anti-Muslim sentiment is not something new uh, right. in, in Texas or in America or in the world. Um, it's certainly something that has increased. I experienced it uh, firsthand as a high school student after 9-11. Um, uh-huh. I, I saw the sort of rise of anti-Muslim sentiment. And as a Sikh who maintains a turban and a beard, um, I, I, you know, I was often uh, targeted in anti-Muslim violence. And so uh, that was, in, you know, a, a formative part of my experience. And, and one of the things I started realizing as I delved into 
uh, their study of anti-Muslim sentiments in modern America was that we don't actually have a good sense of what it looks like in America. Uh, uh -huh. We certainly don't have a good sense of how it manifests itself in Texas. And so I, with a few of my colleagues, uh, decided that we would begin initiating that process. And, um, and, and this is the report that we came up with um, on, mm -hmm. on Islamophobia in uh, Texas uh, really focuses on uh, the increasing sense of anti-Muslim sentiment that we're experiencing, especially over this last year. Um, right. Given, given the, the extent of, of vandalism, of violence, of, mm -hmm. of hate uh, that we're seeing in Texas right now, we felt it was particularly urgent, and so we made it a, a priority in terms of uh, our, our research projects. Yes, and I think that's, you know, I think that's really amazing because there is very little research done on it. And, of course, you know, with social media, you hear of all these incidences. And, you know, like, it just seems like it's so so much in the media that, you know, we as South Asians or the Muslim community, we acknowledge it and we notice it, but maybe others don't. So I think it's really interesting that you did the study to kind of compile all the data on all the situations so that when it is presented to other groups, they may begin to understand more of the situations that we're going through. Right, exactly. And, and you know, part of the point of the report is to show that, uh, you know, incidents of anti-Muslim violence are not uh, one-off events. They don't happen in a vacuum and they aren't random. Uh, right. Rather, what we're seeing is that this is part of a trend, it's part of a pattern uh, that we're seeing okay. in Texas and that we're seeing across America. And so, you know, when I teach in my classroom and I and I ask my students if they've heard of any anti-Muslim incidents in Texas, um, most of them will be able to identify one or two. And, and what that tells me is, and, and what their perspective is, that, you know, these things happen, but they're really not that big of a deal. They're wrong. Uh -huh. um, but they aren't they aren't a big deal uh in in terms of what is going on in our country um but when I bring to their attention the string of events or the phenomenon or the trend, uh -huh. and they realize that it's happening on a consistent basis and that right. there are innocent Americans who have to be very careful and vigilant in terms of how they live their lives they have to live in fear uh then my students' eyes open up and they realize hey, this is a serious problem, it's wrong, and we need to address it. And so my hope is with the report, our hope is um, that we will begin to shed light on the fact that this is a serious problem that needs addressing. And once people start recognizing that, our hope is, then we can actually begin moving forward. So this, in my, in my perspective, is you know, a, a very initial step to addressing some serious problems. I agree with you, and I hope that, you know, we can get there. I kind of wanted to go back a little and just talk about um, what the Institute for Diversity and Civic Life is and who are they and what's their main goal. Um, sure. The, the Institute for Diversity and Civic Life is a relatively new um, nonprofit organization uh, for okay. which I serve on the board. Uh, uh -huh. We're based in Texas, in Austin, and our vision is really to um, help bring forward education uh, in a way that produces greater awareness of religion and culture in the public sphere. 
And our belief okay. is that in an ever-increasing America, in, in an ever-increasing uh, diverse nation, in, in, a, uh-huh. in a nation that is far more diverse than it has ever been and will continue to become even more diverse, um, we have a responsibility and a need to really address uh, the the sort of fear that is surrounding the development of diversity. And so our, our real focus is how do we produce education and awareness about diversity so that we can make it something that's a positive experience as opposed to something uh-huh. that people uh, fear and are concerned about. I think that's a really great, uh, you know, notion to have with this group because, you know, from what I'm learning with other interviews and working in politics is that Texas is one of the most diverse nations now and the city of Houston just recently got the most diverse city in America, which people, um, you know, they wouldn't think that that is happening in Texas. And the fact that in the future, Texas will probably be a minority majority uh, state. And so I think it's great that um, you and the Institute for Diversity and Civic Life are, you know, starting this because I think it's really important for, you know, for us to, you know, really get out there and to make sure that the rest of Texas, you know, understands the other cultures and religions so we don't have this fear because I feel like the way that the current Texas politics is, is there's a lot of fear and anxiety about certain minorities. Right, right, exactly. And it's not, you know, I, I agree with you that, that Texas is in a very interesting position because while it's often perceived as, you know, stereotypically uh, right. monolithic and backwards, it's actually, you're right, it's, it is one of the most diverse states in the in the nation. It is the second fastest growing state in the country. You're right that Houston is um, the most ethnically diverse nation or city in the country. Um, and actually, most people don't know that Texas has uh, the it actually has the largest Muslim population of any state in America. And so, uh-huh. while we're talking about um, you know communities who are marginalized around the country, we're actually talking about uh, communities in Texas who have a lot of stake. And as you know, my belief is I'm I'm personally not Muslim, uh, but my uh-huh. belief is that if we are mistreating any minorities in our country, then all of us are risking our own safety and security. And so, right. in order to make Texas a safer a safer place, in order to make it a stronger place, I believe very strongly that we ought to deal with uh, these issues of discrimination and racism that we're experiencing right now. I completely agree with you. And so, moving on. Um, about the study that you did with the Institute for Diversity and Civic Life, you know, what was the main point of the study? Was it just about, you know, defining Islamophobia, what Islamophobia is, the stats? You know, what was your main purpose for doing it? What was the end goal you all wanted to achieve, and did you all achieve it? Well, I, I would say that the, the goal for the report was actually, we, we were clear about the fact that we wanted the report to be a first step. Uh, a first okay. step in identifying what is happening in Texas with regard to Islamophobia um, uh-huh. and, and sort of fleshing out uh, what are the key issues, what are the problem areas, what are the ways in which it manifests itself uh, so that we can then begin to take our next steps. And so what we'd like to do next going forward is to actually start cataloging uh, all the incidents of anti-Muslim violence um, okay. Over the past over the past two decades, so we can actually start looking at trends. You know, right uh-huh. now we don't have enough information to be able to say 
um, you know, are things getting better or are they getting worse? Uh, while I might personally feel that things are getting worse uh, based right. on my own experiences and what I'm seeing with my nonprofit organizations, uh, I don't have the evidence to back that up. And our government, right. unfortunately, does not have the evidence to, to do that. And so it's on the shoulders of scholars and researchers to bring this information together. And that's and that's sort of what we're hoping to do next. So as we sort of bring together more data and pull it together, um, then I hope we can uh, demonstrate what the problems are more clearly, and that should influence policy, um, and that should influence our lawmakers and say, you know, hey, this is what we need to do. These are the issues we need to address in order uh -huh. to make our nation a better place. Interesting. So I saw, you know, I had a chance to actually read through the study, and I saw that you all, you know, gave a definition of what Islamophobia is. Um, would you mind sharing that with our listeners? Sure. I mean, I, I can, I can, I'll, I'll just, in order to be as precise as possible, I'll read uh, the opening two sentences of, of our definition, um, uh -huh. you know, which, which delineates it, and then we get into, you know, why it really matters. Uh, but right. the way that we describe it is uh, Islamophobia is a manufactured hostility and fear-based prejudice against Muslims or groups of individuals, sorry, or groups or individuals perceived as Muslims. It presents itself in the forms of bias, stereotypes, discrimination, microaggressions, and even violence. So um, how did you come about this definition? Was it just a standard one that you used? Um, was it, you know, something in particular that really wanted you guys to focus in on that? Um, you know, it's every, when, when scholars are working, it's, it's important for us all we're trained to define the terms that we intend to use, at least the ones that are most central to our work. And so right. for us, it was important that, you know, in order to be clear about what we're discussing, we wanted to define what we meant by Islamophobia. And, and there's something else that's important about defining it, because there are many people in this country uh, who are refusing to acknowledge the existence of Islamophobia. Right. And it's part of a political rhetoric, um, and it's coming from a place of, I, in my opinion, um, of, of, of denial, of, okay. uh, of, of denial of, of experiences of certain people. It's also coming from a place of self-defense, uh, a defensiveness uh -huh. that is being constructed or, or, or being sort of created in response to a perceived threat. And, and what's important to me and what was important to us as we were bringing forward this report is we're not here to attack anybody. We don't want anybody to feel defensive. We're just here to make observations as objective scholars uh, who, okay. have, who have something at stake with regard to Islamophobia. And so that's sort of how we, why we decided to focus on defining Islamophobia. In terms of how we defined it, um, it's, it's based on sort of uh, academic literature and discussions on uh, what it means uh, to be Muslim in this country or to look like a Muslim in this country today. Um, uh -huh. and, and it was important for us to situate that within the broader context of race and racism and the construction of race um, because essentially that's what we have here. Although Islam is a religion and not a race, uh, right. it, is, it is treated 
uh, as a race in modern America, right. and the religion has been racialized. And and we mm-hmm. wanted to um, we wanted to pull that out for our readers so that they understand that there is an important connection between race and religion that's happening here. Yes, and I think that's a very important distinction to note. Um, I don't think I don't think people realize that. And it's right, something that, right, exactly. Right, and that it is something that we do need to realize that it has become that way. Uh, yes, it's a funny thing. You know, when I'm walking down the street, it's just uh-huh. as common for me now to be, uh, you know, when people are yelling racial slurs at me, um, you know, it it often is sort of ethnic-based, as we see with other right. communities. It's very sort of race-based. You know, they'll call me an Arab or a raghead or right. something like that, but now but now they'll call me a Muslim and they'll mean that as a derogatory term. And I'm saying, I'm thinking here, look, first of all, it's not racial, although now it is. Uh, uh-huh. I'm racialized. Um, but then, but then the other thing is, it's it's bizarre to realize that in modern America, it is a derogatory term to call somebody by the identity of the religion that they identify as. That's it's it's really scary to me. That I mean, imagine if someone just called somebody a Christian as as if that's that thing. I mean, it's it's a it's a very bizarre thing that's happening in our country right now. It definitely is, and you know, for what it's worth, I'm sorry for those really negative instances you've had to go through. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, I also wanted to talk about, you know, these types of discriminatory situations that are happening. You know, what is the situation just in Texas? I know your study focused mostly just on those discrimination issues in Texas. So what were your findings in that? Um, well, what we're seeing is that there's that that the anti-Muslim sentiment is manifesting itself in, in, in many different ways. And, and we spelled out a few of them that were especially problematic. In my opinion, the most concerning, right, certainly you have a rise in hate violence and vandalism of mosques, um, right. hate violence against Muslims. And that is something that is incredibly disturbing because innocent people now are having to deal with um, bigotry just because of what they believe and how they look. Right. So that's that's a problem in and of itself. What I uh-huh. think is especially problematic, and I don't think there's enough attention being paid to this, is that in Texas itself, and this is true in other parts of the country, but we're focusing on Texas here. In Texas itself, um, our elected officials, our legislators, and our lawmakers are right. demonstrating uh, anti-Muslim sentiment in their own speech and actually in the policies they're trying to implement. And so we have a number of instances from, you know, the Texas Agricultural Commissioner to state representatives to local officials, even the mayor, um, Uh who have very explicitly uh, made anti-Muslim comments. Um, And, and, you know, there are a number of problems with that. First of all, you know, the separation of church and state is supposed to be an important part of our Yes, of our constitutional values, and 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 that's you know it's, it's the very act of making statements like that challenges that foundation, and so that's problematic. But also, when our elected officials are making statements like that, they're essentially giving every citizen in the state a green light to mistreat or treat differently people who look a certain way or believe a certain thing. And that is yeah. an, an, an incredibly problematic message to be sending. And so that is, from what we found in the report, probably the most 
the thing that I found most disturbing, that we had people at all different levels within our state, including our own governor, uh, who have made very derogatory comments towards the funds uh, anti-Sharia legislation, which uh, is based on fear-mongering and not actually what we're seeing uh, from Muslim communities in Texas. Uh, these sorts of things are, are, are really troubling. I agree with you. And, you know, I just worked this past legislative session, and it was really – I don't even know how to put it into words because when you're working for a politician, you can't necessarily be, you know – speaking out loud or speaking your mind um, about certain bills because you have a certain, uh, you know, protocol that you have to follow with your, um, with the boss that you're working for. But it was very frustrating to see a lot of these things where the representative from the city of Plano was, you know, had basically an anti-Sharia bill. There are so many South Asians in the Plano community. I mean, it's the city where I grew up and there's, you know, at least two mosques and um, a Jamaat Khana, and it was just mm-hmm. absolutely bizarre. And then the fact that our community wasn't really saying anything um, about it at all, or there wasn't just a backlash of that sort. So it was right. kind of tough to right. see. Exactly. And then, yeah, and you know, I've seen it. I've, I've seen it since 2007. I was also working in the Texas legislature, and our current lieutenant governor was actually part of the Texas Senate, and um, there was an imam that was invited to speak, and because it was Good Friday, um, he and a couple of his buddies, I guess, walked out and refused to listen to a Muslim imam speaking. Really? Wow. Uh, Yeah, this was back in 2007, and um, I was working for the senator from Plano, and she, you know, had invited him to speak because I believe it was Texas Muslim Day, and they usually offer prayers. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a backlash from that situation. <laughs> right, man. I, you know, we hear these stories, and and again, this sort of goes back to the to the significance of the report. We hear these stories, and and many of us in Texas experience these stories, but we, it's right. hard to understand or get your to wrap your head around uh, how deep. Uh, these biases are uh, right until until you sort of start looking at the pattern and, and and recognizing that these things aren't happening you know one year or every two years or every six months or they're they're happening on you know a daily a weekly basis and and they're really affecting uh, the lives of our kids uh, right they're really affecting the lives of all of us um, in my classroom I noticed very clearly um, that my students uh, who come from a Muslim background are very hesitant to speak um, because they're afraid of what other people think about them. And it takes a while to be able to build trust with them and for them to feel comfortable about, you know, sharing their opinions and their backgrounds because they really are just, they've been conditioned to live in a state of fear uh, because of, you know, just because of the fact of their Muslim backgrounds. It's, it's a really sad thing to observe. It really is. And, you know, as parents, I'm, you know, there's a lot of listeners out there that are parents. What are ways that we can fix this problem? Like, what, what is it that we as a community, not even just Muslims, but, you know, the Sikh community, the Hindu community, those of us that are targeted with this racial bias, what is it that we can do? 
Well, I, I think for me, the first step is always education. Um, as, as a parent myself, I'm, I'm, I'm a new parent. I have a three-month-old. So I haven't had to deal that much with education. Thank you. Thank you very much. But, um, yeah, what, what I'm thinking about is how do I uh, raise a child who is uh, – aware of others, uh, uh, respectful of others, and sensitive to others. Um, and really, that I, I don't think that can happen unless I, I raise her to uh, to see the goodness in everybody. I mean, that's sort of just a general sort of thing. But also, in, and this is something that I think is more difficult, um, how do we raise children who are appreciative of differences as opposed to fearful of them. And I think, you know, if that's the problem in our country, that we're scared of people who are different than us, then we really uh-huh. need to start questioning how can we raise kids who understand those differences or at least can be grateful for them and recognize that in America our diversity has always been our greatest strength. Um, right. And that it's when we are divided that we actually uh, are, are are in trouble and so what I what I would really encourage parents to do um, is to help uh, encourage their children to open their minds to others. Um, and, you know, my, my experience has been, and I'm sure it will continue to be, that, that it's an opportunity for us as well, for us parents, uh, to educate ourselves about our own our own ignorances and our own biases. Right. You know, we all have our shortcomings. None of us knows everything. And, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. here to say that, you know, I'm a perfect person and everybody should be like me. I understand that, that we all have right. our, our shortcomings and our, and our biases. And so uh, if we can just be humble enough to accept that um, and recognize that we, we have such great opportunities in, in a place like Texas uh, to to come and engage with people of various backgrounds, um, I, I think, you know, all of our kids will be better for that. I agree with you, and I'm so glad that you spoke about how we need to be appreciative of the differences and understand those differences of other communities, because while, you know, we want it from the people that discriminate against us, I think at the same time, you know, we need to be more open and accepting of other minorities as well, and I feel that sometimes as a South Asian community, we kind of, we stick together and we and, and it makes sense, especially for our parents' generation, because culturally they're the same and they probably miss, you know, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. Right, but right, I do right. think we need to do a better job of, you know, getting out there and meeting the other different cultures and the other minorities, because a lot of times, you know, and I've spoken about this in previous segments, that the Hispanic community and the African-American community and the LGBT community, they've, they've dealt with a lot of discrimination, too. They've dealt with a lot of the same things that we have. Right, right. And, um, and that's something that, you know, we also need to be aware of and be understanding of as well if we want people to understand us. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you 100%. And, and essentially, if we're not doing that, then we're we're guilty of the same things that's putting us in a difficult position. And in doing so, we're going to start putting other people in difficult positions. And so uh, somehow, I think what you're describing is, is, is somehow we need to start breaking that cycle. Um, and and if, if we don't do it, then, then it'll just continue. And so we, I don't really feel like we have much of a choice but to but to engage others and sort of celebrate differences and, and, and recognize that. And that's my segment for today. I hope you all enjoyed the first part of this interview, and next week you'll get to hear the rest of it. 
I know that usually I do kind of a little synopsis and analysis of, you know, my takeaways from the interview, but I'm going to save that for next week because I think, you know, it'd be much more beneficial for you all to hear my analysis after you've heard the entire interview with Simranjit Singh. Anyways, I hope you all enjoyed today's segment. Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to check out my Facebook page, Twitter, and my website, which is www.wiseuptx.com. Remember everyone, let's become educated, let's get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot.